Welcome back to Inside the Wit. We are uh, two men, one mic. Uh, it is going to be an interesting day, so Andrew. I will. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a... Uh, it won't be as fluid, I feel like, in between. We're, uh, we're sharing the mic today. We only got one, so... Thanks, Bracket. <laughs> Silly guy. Um... Andrew, we can get into our weekends first to start the show if you'd like, um, because this is probably the highlight in the personal, like, you know, oh, wow, that's cool, because it's about to get, you know, kind of down. Yeah, uh, good weekend. Um, I didn't watch either of the games this weekend, which okay. I think kind of makes my weekend maybe a little bit better. It was a wise choice on your part. Uh, I watched the first game. I watched the highlights of the second. Um, went to a concert Saturday. Um, pretty weird, the... the Performer made up some joke that he did a kickflip once as a child, and it mentally scarred him. So when people say the word kickflip, he has, uh, you know, some trauma. But, you know, other than that, good time, good time. Uh, not a good time for United Men's Hockey. Um, probably the worst time <laughs> you could have so far. Um, maybe this is hyperbole, and maybe I'm just kind of caught up in the moment. But um, I would say this is the most disappointing weekend yet uh, for the Wildcats, Andrew. Uh... Yeah, I mean, we talked about last, let's see, the last two weeks. Well, I guess just last week because we didn't have an episode two weeks, but last week we really talked about that being the, the stepping stone of the of the year so far. You get two out-of-conference wins. Obviously, you don't get points for that, but, um, you know, good play overall. Mike Robinson was on again, and then you're coming in – to really a very, very important series against BU. I mean, they don't play games for another 27 days after the game on Saturday. you got a long break. This weekend is going to probably carry a lot of the vibe of, vibe of what, you know, that break is going to be, you know. UNH obviously is, is towards the bottom of the hockey East standings, but, you know, four, five, six points is going to, you know, get you into that eighth spot and push you even closer to that seventh spot, which know is is trending in the right direction and they came out and they just can't score they cannot score goals to save their life I'm looking right now at all 59 college hockey teams and their goals per game you want to guess out of the 59 where UNH is I know this yeah actually they're lower now they're 56 oh. yeah sorry oh no <laughs> um, I have a sound drop for that Uh, tough break. Tough break 56 out of 59 teams only ahead of Wisconsin, who is actually surprising. They, they had a really good team last year with Cole Caulfield. St. Thomas, who is a first-year Division One school, and Alaska. One Alaska. <laughs> Can't be <laughs> maybe recording us. I don't know what's going on back there, but <laughs> he is chuckling about Alaska, as am I. If you're only marginally better than Alaska at almost anything, you got problems. All right, I put a little frowny emoji in my uh, in my in the doc sheet that I used to prepare for this because it, it's very emblematic of what went down this weekend at the Wit and um, at Aganis Arena, I believe it's pronounced. Um, so I suppose we should get into it, Andrew. Unfortunately, um, game one, not bad actually. The Wildcats come out strong. You get the first goal in the opening five minutes, thanks to Harrison Blaisdell. Um, kind of a weird goal. Did you see it? No, I did see the goal. He kind of came down the left side and like threw it at the net. I don't know if the goalie was like ex not expecting it to 
to get on the net. It kind of looked like it it just found like a, a way in and in between like his shoulder and kind of like just snuck in. But it went in. And, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than to be good. And for a lot of the Wildcats goals this year, I feel like that has been the case. But, you know, you got to take what you can get. I mean, they're just lucky if anything goes in at all at this point. <laughs> what, like, what do you think is the problem with this offense? Because watching these games at home, a lot of them, I mean, and on TV for some of these road games, um, it's not like they, they can't get the puck into the offensive zone and make something happen. You know, They have been good with, with applying pressure. We've seen most of the games in the first half of the season, they outshot their opponent. And, I mean, they, they're good at getting pucks on net. It's just they, they legitimately cannot finish. Um, I mean, look at like the third period of, what was this, Saturday's game against BU. They don't shoot them 18-3 to in the, third, yeah. in the third. Obviously, they get a goal there to tie it. Uh, Liam Devlin gets one. But, like, just, I don't I don't know. It's like beating a dead horse. I don't even know, like, even the other reporters in these press conferences don't know what to ask Sousa because he's just like, you know, we're, we're offensively challenged, but it gets to a point where, like, we gotta we gotta try something else, and I, I don't know what that is right now. Like the power play is not doing much. Um, yeah, I was just gonna say UNH is fifty third in the country in power play. Like it, it's they have six goals on um, fifty four attempts. Like you can't win like that. <laughs> like it's just not gonna work for you. Um, I think one of the things they really miss is just a consistent offensive presence and shot taker who puts a fear into a goalie. Certainly Jackson Pearson is, is you know one of them. But I think he's maybe the only one that I can really think of off the top of my head. Yeah, and I mean, Pearson's Pearson's really good, and he is the best player on this offense. But he's not – I still don't see him as, like, a pure goal scorer. Like, I think back to Angus Crookshank last year, that's a guy who you see and you expect him to go out every, every game and score a goal. And last year he had a – I believe it was against either UConn or Providence at home. He had a four-goal game. Uh and the winner in overtime, and watching him when he was a what was he? He was a sophomore my freshman year, and you know, not necessarily the best player on the ice, but just a really talented offensive player who was fast, who was quick, and it's just all these all these guys right now on the offense to me, besides Angaris and Pearson, just blend together. Like no one really stands out. A lot of these guys. You know, blend together. I mean, there are guys who we've seen, you know, better performances from. Eric McAdams is always scrappy, and you know, Devlin and Blaisdell have played well. But other than that, it, they just they all blend together, and they're just missing that firepower. I even think back to the last two years. Um, they had Kohei Sato on this team, who was ridiculously fast, ridiculously fast. I mean, he wasn't scoring a ton of goals, but could carry the puck into the zone, make things happen. And the Wildcats are just. Just missing that little spark this year. Here's the weird part. I just did some quick research. They're 14th in the country in shots total. Um, shot percentage, it looks like they are... Um, it's 58th. <laughs> um, Wisconsin. Oof. They miss Cole Caulfield just as much as in Wildcats and Angus Crookshank. I... I just don't know what it is. Like, I just don't think they have a guy who you can count on to get you the goal every night. They're just... Like, I think Corona could become that guy maybe in the future because he's got a lot of talent. Same thing with Devlin. But as of currently constructed, it's just not a team that you're 
afraid is going to score the lights out of you. I mean, what, their highest output is three still on the season? And we're halfway through? Is three um, Four goals, sorry. For opening night, but... Uh, yeah, I... <clears throat> say, well, three goals is the cap in the last 16 games. And when it's opening night, you expect it to get better, but it's only gotten progressively worse for the most part. Uh, I mean, I think it has. I think it's kind of gotten to a point. I mean, just the, the way the narrative, for me at least, has even shifted this past week, where it's like, all right, this team has found its identity and it's going to play in close games, which it did this weekend. Um, but you cannot rely on your goaltender to give up one or zero goals every single game. Like, I don't care what team you're on, how good your goalie is. You you just can't you can't do that. Like, it's too much pressure on him. You know, it, it's just not going to work out. And you cannot win more than half of your games if that if that's the case. Like, they they just need to be able to score goals. And it's just gotten to a point now where I I, I don't know. Like this. The, it's just I like honestly I'm at a loss for words. Like the offense legitimately is doing nothing, nothing. Yeah, I I'm a Mets fan as we all know, and it really does feel like you're watching Jacob Degrom every time you watch Mets hockey in the sense that not to not that J- Mike Robinson and David Fessen are Jacob Degrom or you know Noah Syndergaard at their peak of their powers, but there's this sense of if they are not perfect, the game can be over just like that. Because you need to do, really do everything right to win. It sometimes it feels like because the offense is such a liability, and so if you let one mistake go by, it's it's over. And they can be as good as they want every other time, but if they're not making every shot, because the offense is just not going to support you at all. So it's it's really really frustrating. I can't imagine what it's like to be in the locker room or even to be Souza right now to just kind of go out there every night, kind of expecting two goals is a high at this point. It kind of feels like you know. And when you get three, it's like, oh, my goodness, <laughs> you know. Um, do you want to go more into game one a little bit? Because I felt there was six minutes that really swung that game. Yeah. So the the six that we're referring to is Liam Devlin makes a collision with two BU players. Um, play goes on. Everything looks normal. And then when there's a stoppage, um, BU calls for a review. And what they ultimately decide is that Liam Devlin committed a slew foot. Now, Andrew... Did you know what this was? As a Devils fan, I do because PK Subban is one of the uh, the biggest instigators of this issue in the NHL. I don't know how he hasn't been suspended yet. We saw uh, who was it get suspended recently? Uh, someone did. Oh, uh, they got three games for it. I forget who it was, but it was Cam. You you remember who that was? Someone got yeah. I think they, no, it was to Trevor, Trevor Zegras got slew footed and I forget who that was who got slew footed, but yes, I do know. And I know playing hockey, um, growing up and, you know, basically up until college that, yep. Yep. PK has been, (laughs) um, but I know how serious that is. And when it happens, if you're on the opposing team, that's just one thing that really pisses you off because it's one of like the the really cheap things in hockey that you, you just don't want to see. So, yeah, for those who aren't quite clear, it's the act of a player or goalkeeper using the leg or foot to knock or kick an opponent's feet from under them or pushing an opponent's upper body backward with an arm or elbow. This is per the NCAA rulebook. I had to pull this up. Um, and at the same time, you're using a forward motion of your leg, knocking or kicking the opponent's feet from under them, causing the opponent to fall violently to the ground. Um, appropriately, it is a five-minute major, and BU gets the five-minute major, and they score pretty, pretty quickly. I think it was a minute and a half in. 
Um, just a really nice cross creaser that really nothing Robinson can do on that one. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that goal. No, I mean, I think that when a team of BU stature, again, they're not as strong this year, but when they're on the power play for five minutes against you, I even think that coming away with only giving up one goal is is a plus. So, so like Andrew just said, they were able to kill off the rest of the penalty, but there's a moment where BU has another goal, <laughs> um, but they call that back um, due to offsides. But even post game, um, Albie O'Connell, the BU head coach, really pointed that five minute major as a turning point of the game, and it really would be because without Caulfield's empty net goal, that would come in the third. That's the game winning goal, and to me, it is the game winning goal, frankly, because. Maybe it is a game when I go, I don't know. Uh, stats are weird. Um, because UNH just wasn't able to do anything on offense, like we mentioned in the second and the third periods. Um, outside of Blaisdell's goal, too, um, Drew Camisa, the BU goalie, was pretty great You know, on, on the chances he had to make and everything like that. Um, so it was a really disappointing first game for the Wildcats, who I think were in it for a bulk of the game, but just weren't able to really get that last push to try and make a difference. Um I don't mean <laughs> I don't really know where we go in terms of of this team in, in game one, but we'll move on to game two against BU. Um, like I mentioned, I didn't really watch this, so I don't can't be honest and say I know everything <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. um, but it was a reversal of fortune to some extent. BU was able to score first uh, again on the power play. This is something I wanted to bring up. Um, so the UNH had killed 14 straight penalties um, at one point, and then every other goal—not every other, I should say—but three out of the five BU goals this weekend were all on the power play. You have the five-minute major, you have the first goal in the first game, and this goal here by, um, what's his name? Matt Brown, I believe it was, um, for BU. So it's just uncharacteristic this whole weekend for the Wildcats, really. Not in the sense they can't score, but since they're being undisciplined. I think they took like five or six penalties Saturday. Yeah, and to be honest, that's not a uncommon theme that we've seen with this team I mean when we uh, were at the UMass game together it took seven penalties and luckily the penalty kill has been so good this year where they were able to you know not give up a goal but again it comes back to the offense and it comes back to the goaltending it's that same storyline where you can't it's like they're like um, like turning in their homework last minute and they're like if one thing goes wrong they're screwed but if it doesn't, they'll be fine. And when it comes to the power penalty kill having to be perfect, because this team does uh, take a lot of penalties, goaltending having to be perfect, and the offense needing to just do something, that combination, if one of those three things doesn't go right, this team's not winning a game. Um, so it's kind of like that where it's like, yeah, this penalty kill has been so good all year, and then you know they have one bad weekend and we're looking like, oh, crap, like <laughs> – the the standard needs to be where it is which is almost like on it's it's very difficult to keep up and the team went from i believe they were up to fifth or sixth in the country in penalty kill percentage uh over nine i think they were yeah they were up over 90 percent um and they have fallen down to 12 which is still really really good they're up to or at still at 87.69 percent you want to know who's at the bottom Alaska, Wisconsin. Ooh, killed sixty-four percent of their penalties. It's pretty bad. I really, they, they, they sound awful. Like, do you think me and you could outplay them? Maybe. Like, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I don't know how to skate, so probably not as the answer. But yikes! I didn't know this was gonna be a Wisconsin-centric pod today. But you know, here we are. 
Um, the, William Devlin is able to avenge himself in game two. He gets a goal, but really credit should go to Colton Ewer, who I'm not sure if it was supposed to be a pass or just a shot that um, Devlin was able to find and redirect to the back of the net. But regardless, um, the Wildcats are able to even it up at home. They always play better at home. Um, it is worth pointing out that UNH really got off to a terrible start in the first two periods. They had seven shots total to uh, be used, I think. Um, I think it was like 17 or 18. So just, ugh, like, but gnarly. But anyways, we're able to get to overtime. And I don't know I don't know if you know, wrote this. Uh, the Cam, cut that out. I don't know if you realize this, Andrew, but um, UNH has played four straight overtime games at home. So we go into another one. They're able to win their last three. Uh, not so lucky <laughs> on Saturday. Um, Coughlin goes top shelf with a backhand, beats Robinson, and it's just, you know, there's this moment where um, Robinson, after he lets in the goal, he just kind of stares down at the ice in the crease. And just, I think everyone felt it on the ice that this was just a really, really disappointing week. Yeah, I was kind of a nail in the coffin, and... Even with the game going to overtime, I guess you can call it a plus because... Well, they're able to get a point, which I guess is is better than nothing. But still, you look at this and you're like, we got one out of six points. This team has won one regulation game in 11 Hockey East games. That one game coming to UVM, who is essentially in last place. Like We've talked about how hard this schedule has been for them. But, yeah, like the BU, BU, this, this, this was it. This was it. This was, this was the turning point. This is where you're gonna, you know, finally get some wins. And you're like, all right, that was a, that was a quality weekend. Because even when they've gotten wins and points, you, ha- you don't look at a weekend. I don't think since, obviously, it, you don't look at a weekend in league play. I should say, and you're like, that's a solid weekend. They haven't had that. They've played solid, but the results have been, you know, anything but solid, which is, is disappointing. And I, I really was expecting this weekend to kind of be the turning point. And, again, it just it comes back to the offense. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, they had a good group of, of guys returning. But, you know, this team's also still pretty young. Um, and it's just – it's not – it's not – it's just not – gelling the results well that's what I, I kind of wanted to I mean we'll get more into the question segment here shortly because I have uh, I think six or seven today so I really beefed it up but do you think it's a line combination thing because I'll be honest you know more about hockey more than I do you see the game a little differently as a former player do you think it's a lines thing or do you think it's just you know maybe just these guys just aren't maybe a good roster for that type of offense um honestly I think it's more of the second thing because the lines have been anything but set since like the first the first weekend. Like Sousa's been mixing everything up. We've seen you know Blaisdell on the fourth line. We've seen him on the first line, and you know not Sousa talks a lot about you know it doesn't really matter where you are in the lineup because again a lot of these guys play play very similar minutes. It's not like you know a top heavy we roll like a, a one two. And then like one two three one like you know everybody they're they're rotating through the lines like pretty pretty evenly, um, and I, I think that they've got decent depth forward wise, but the results aren't there, and I think that it does have to do a little bit with just kind of the style that they're playing, and you know this team's not very big on the offense, and they're trying to generate rebounds and opportunities, and they're just getting pushed out 
by the defense, and they're just not really generating those second-chance opportunities that we've seen teams capitalize on UNH, and ultimately has been the difference in, in a lot of games. And obviously I'm not I, – I know a, a pretty good amount about hockey, but Coach Susan knows a lot more. So, um, you know, maybe there's a different type of offense you can try. And, you know, I, I think back to, like, just really, like, you know, nice goals in the slot where they fire a hard shot in and score, like, that's just that hasn't been there like a lot of their goals have been little gritty ones but they get they get like one a game and then that that's it I mean that was something I, I kind of felt when I was watching the, the first BU game is they have some big guys they have Boucher who's about 6'4 and he's just going right into the slot you know just to like just screen and do stuff and it feels like UNH doesn't have that I mean Jackson Pearson as good as he is I believe he's 5'9 I want to say 5'11 so he's not a big guy and you don't have to be big obviously it's not a it's not a requirement here this isn't basketball but it certainly helps to just have this physical presence on the ice, and the Cats really just seem to lack that to some extent on offense, I feel. Um, so I suppose we'll get into the questions. I prepared a little sound drop. I don't know if we want to use it. It is a little bizarre. Um, Andrew, it's up to you. What is it? It's me just I'll, – I'll play it, all right. This may be the first and last time you ever hear my question sound drop I prepared. Questions. All right, so here we go. <laughs> it got a it got a laugh, so it'll be back. <laughs> you think that's weird? You just wait, Cam. <laughs> On to questions. What do we make of the UNH penalty kill allowing three goals this weekend after being so dominant as of late? We already touched on this. We don't have to go on too long. But Andrew, thoughts? Um, they're they're still really good. It's just hard to kill off ninety percent of penalties. Still good. Still good. All right, we already covered that one. Um, how much stock do you put into Mike Robinson in five straight starts? Um, are we a little, you know, are we thinking this might be the end of the David Fessenden split situation? Uh, no, because the team's still not winning. So, <sighs> I, I, I don't know. Robinson has still played really well. I mean, he gave up one goal in regulation uh, Saturday, two goals on Friday. He's playing really well. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I think, like, whoever's starting is going to allow less than three goals, which is good. It's just, like, you might as well just give both of them a little bit of time because unless the offensive produces, like, I think it's a big, uh, big headache for these guys trying to, like, really focus in and be like, I got to be perfect every night. Yeah, one thing I did, I did some research. I don't know if you read it there, but uh, Robson has made four starts uh, against BU, so there's some familiarity there, but it's not quite good. He's allowed 13 <laughs> in those starts. So it, it that at least signals to me that even though Robson's track history against BU isn't good, perhaps Souza is content with just giving him the job. As a, you know, maybe he should, uh, because Robson certainly hasn't played well, so it's not a knock on him. Um, that said, do you think Robson is still the guy after the break, or do you think we go back to maybe more split platoon? Uh, I'm going to say no. I don't think so. I think Robinson is, like, if you look at a bigger sample size, I'd say he gets, like, seven or eight starts out of the ten, but I still think that uh, Fessenden will get will get some starts. Like, well, we got this tournament coming up in Dartmouth. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Fessenden gets the first start there against a weaker Dartmouth team, but... As the guy is like, all right, he's starting every league game. Like, no, I don't. I still don't think so. Okay, moving on. How much stock do we want to put into this series? The the BU one. Yes. Uh, a lot, and I'm not exactly thrilled with it. So, 
Yeah. Well, here's what I had thought. Um, not to you know strongly disagree with you, but I feel like you mentioned 27 days off here between games. There is time to get this out of the system. You know, mm-hmm. you get to you know it's a tough pill to swallow and digest, of course. But with that time off, you can kind of figure out some time to you know restock and hopefully just kind of shut it to the edge. So I'm not sure. I mean, it's tough because we really have to wait to see what happens after the break. Um, but I'm going to say it's a good time to have this loss, personally. It's, a, like I said, tough pill to swallow, but you get to clear your mind from it, focus on some other stuff, and kind of come back to hockey in a couple weeks. Yeah, and I mean, they've still got a lot of winnable league games. You know, you've got more teams towards the middle of the pack. UConn, you've got three. Merrimack, UVM, another one. UMaine, who's not very good. Uh, you know, UMass Old NBC are good. Um, but even BC is, is more winnable this year. So there is still a lot of opportunity here. I just think that this game, in terms of stepping stones, this is one where you, you're like, ah, could have gotten a little bit little bit more out of that. Uh, question five. Team MVP halfway through the season. I'm going to say Jackson Pearson. I like that pick. Thank you. Because he's been noticed, well, he's been the team's best offensive player. However, I'm going to go a little bit different here and I'm trying to think of between let's see here uh, two guys who I want to give it to and uh, mm. is it I'm gonna I'm gonna split it between two guys I think both these guys uh, Alex Gagne one Nikolai Jensen two I'm officially crowning them as your boys because you I, Kudos to them. I mean, they've been great. I, I don't see it as much as you do just because I don't pay attention to the defensive men as much, but they have been terrific. You want to explain your choices? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, MVP is, you know, most valuable part of this team, and this team didn't have any good defense. They'd be screwed. So we talk about value. Defense is value, and you're two best defensive players so far this year. Um, I think if Will McKinnon's hit, uh, healthy this whole year, you know, he's probably more in the running for this, but... Jensen's been really good, really physical, and Gagne's just a guy that I've seen improving every game. He's been solid offensively, um, and yeah, I would just say those two guys. I would just argue Pearson because if he is not scoring, who is four game winning goals? Yeah. I, I just I think I think you can make an argument for any three, and you know Mike Robinson's been good of late, but if we're like first half of the season, probably not. So I think you can make a case for any three of those guys. Uh, moving on, uh, I'm going to skip question six. We already touched on it basically. Um, what do we make of the team's inability to beat hockey East opponents, and how much concern should we have over that? For clarity, they're three seven one in conference. Um, I will pull up Mike Sousa's conference record real quick just to have context while Andrew answers the first part. Uh, like just this year, or the last couple of years. Either. Ah man, you know the uh, college teams go through droughts, but. This drought is starting to get a little bit long. And I think back, I have not followed Hockey East as I ha- as long as I have, say, ECAC, because, you know, growing up, big St. Lawrence fan. And uh, every year in ECAC, it was like it was like a four-year, if you look at it, a four-year window, like every team had a very similar record. You know, you'd see, I remember a couple years, Princeton was just terrible, like in the basement. And then two years later, you know, top of the conference. And... For whatever reason, you know, I don't really see that with Hockey East. It's a lot more of 
of long-term dominance. And I'm not saying that we don't see that in, in like the ECAC too, where a team like Quinnipiac, who's gone to the national championship twice there, uh, they got a bunch of first-place votes this week. You know, there are better programs, but it's concerning to me. And, you know, that record, 3-7-1, and one, you know, isn't great, but the worst part is that only one of those wins has come in regulation where they've gotten the full three points against a UVM team who who's bottom of the division. So it's not good. And, again, I don't know if it's a recruiting thing. I don't know if it's a problem with, you know, COVID the last couple of years, Sousa still being a younger coach in this program. I don't know. But looking back to what UNH was 20 years ago, I mean, this team is just – well, I mean, the program is just – a shell of what it once was, and I know Sousa wants to get it back to where, to where it was so bad, and he's been working hard, but it's just it's concerning. Yeah, Mike Sousa is twenty five, forty two, and thirteen in conference as uh, a coaching record. So this isn't exactly a new thing. They just don't seem to stack up quite well against the other teams in their division, unfortunately. Um, and that's a little concerning because that is the second half of the entire schedule is Hockey East. Um, and the only team, I believe, am I correct? Uh, no. Well, no, they've got four games to start before Hockey East play. They've got Dartmouth and then either BC, Mercyhurst, and then St. Lawrence and Clarkson. And I'm disappointed. I just found out that I have to go to Chicago for a conference that weekend. I was planning on coming up to what, – What conference is this? <laughs> it's for, for my fraternity. I, I found out that I have to go that weekend. So, I unfortunately – I was looking forward to coming up to to school for that weekend, but I will not be here for that. Um, but after that, I'll be here for the rest of the games. Um, but yeah, it's hockey East heavy once again in uh, in the second half of the season. Um, so yeah, they're only the only teams below them in the hockey they still have to play are Vermont and Maine, and it's three times total uh, Vermont the once and Maine twice. So we will see. Um, I don't care where Maine is in the standings. It's always going to be a close game against UNH, so I can't even bank on those being wins. Oh, oh. Do I have to take the privileges away from you on the on the soundbite? What's what's the third one? <laughs> the third one. <laughs> third Cam is uh <laughs> concerned over there. I promise you it's it's weird. It's not that weird. Well, maybe it is. We'll find out. Um so you can see it says in the uh, the document pairwise update drop. So I want to do a pairwise update on where UNH is. Every time I throw it to you for this segment, I thought it sounded seductive. So I prepared something. What? Well, it'd just be like, Andrew, give me a pairwise update. Like, I, So I, I made this last night during the middle of the 4 o'clock games. Andrew, give me a pairwise update. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> cut it, cut it, cut it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what? Um. Yeah, I feel mildly uncomfortable talking about this now. Um, we fell. Not where we were last week. Uh, <laughs> down to forty-one. BU moved up to thirty-four. I feel like I don't really want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> Sorry about that, folks. I just need to get it off my um, you know, out of my mind. Uh, so are we bringing that drop back or no? No. In okay. fact, the only one I I think I want back is the Price is Right one. Okay. <laughs> I do appreciate the hard work, though. 
It wasn't hard. It took me five minutes. Um, so let's go on to Dartmouth, I guess, because I think this is probably our last pod before the new year, yeah. barring something unforeseen. Two and eight starts the season for Dartmouth. They've lost five straight games, um, 48th in goals per game, 58th in goals against. Now this is this is live. This is live podcast news right now. We got a delivery into the studio. Um, nice, big awards. The inside the wit awards still still pending. But uh, you were saying, what's the like? What are we expecting from this tournament? Uh, sure. What do you think is reasonable? Uh, reasonable, probably last place. You think they'll lose to Dartmouth? I hope not, but I. I don't know. <laughs> like, this team took Holy Cross to overtime. Steam, like, honestly, most of these games, toss-ups. They're, they're toss-ups at this point. I mean, if the offense can't score and your goaltending's solid, it's like, you know, it's, it's going to be close. So, uh, I, I think they should beat Dartmouth. Dartmouth is not very good at all this year. Um, if they win, though, they'll most likely have to play BC. So, I would say reasonable is probably, like, third place. Yeah, so they open with Dartmouth really, really – I don't want to be rude, but bad. They're 40th in goals per game in the nation, 58th in goals against average, 58th in scoring margin with an average margin of defeat of negative .20. So UNA should at least get that first one, I would think. Um, it is a little risky, but Andrew said it's a toss-up. It's a little risky to get a read on who they might put in net. Um, they've given the start to Clay Stevenson the last two games, so I would expect to see him on the 30th. But, you know, we'll see, I suppose. Do you want to give us a pairwise update? on Dartmouth real quick before we head out of here for the old exams. Yeah, as long as you don't, like, play the seductive music, I'll, I'm happy to give an update. Um, Pairwise for Dartmouth, uh, they're pretty pretty low, actually. They're 56, only ahead of St. Thomas, Maine, and Yale. I have to know now, where's Alaska? Alaska is actually 48, and Wisconsin's 40th. Honestly, if you play in a good, a good conference... Uh, you kind of benefit from that strength of schedule, which UNH is at. F- actually, they're at 42 right now. I don't know why I said 41. Um, so Dartmouth is 40. Or sorry, 56. Mercyhurst is literally like tied with UNH at 42, and then BC's up at 26. So UNH, I guess you could probably say is the second best team in this tournament, but I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't know what else to say. It's like a broken record. Just please score some goals this, this week. Yeah, and uh, we will find out in probably four weeks before Inside oh, the yeah. Wood is back. Not, not this week. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be about a month. So and enjoy the break. Maybe ask, you know what? What should the what should the Wildcats ask for? Well, I guess the holidays because, you know, Christmas slash Hanukkah. Hanukkah is kind of come and gone now. But is today the last day of Hanukkah? Yeah, so so for the holidays, what should the UNH hockey team ask for? I'll just start. I'm just going to get my pick. Keep it real simple. Ask for some goals. Yeah, I was going to go in a similar vein and say get Angus Crookshank back. Just have him re-enroll for, like, anthropology for a semester. <laughs> um, get him back here. I think he actually I think he actually is still a student, like, online. I think I saw somewhere that he's, like, still in school. Rip up that contract, Angus, and get back here. We need you. Well, he actually he broke his leg like the first week of training camp, so he hasn't even like played. So I feel I feel bad for him. Tough break. Um, that'll do it for Inside the Wit for the next four weeks. Um, 
we will be trying to work on some guests during the break um, when we come back just because hopefully people should be more available. So expect a player or two. I have some ideas on some other stuff that I will run by Andrew. Um, but until then, stay safe. Have a great holiday, no matter what you celebrate. And um, we'll be back.